are listening to Tech Reads, interviews with emerging technology thought leaders. Our sponsor is SoftTech, the premier technology trade association that has been serving Northern Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo County since 1997. Our mission is to create soft tech moments where people connect, explore ideas, and create new business opportunities. Learn more at softec.org. For me, uh, this whole journey really just started with when I was a young punk at UCSB in my undergrad. I was like 19. And I came up to my advisor, who is this like special ex-special forces guy, and it was a leadership class. And I kind of got in his grill and I said, how do we know who wins? And he looks at me and goes, say that another way. I go, all right, like who fails and who prevails? And he pokes me in the chest and he goes, that's going to be your first research project, punk. Go find out. So I literally thought, I was so smug, I thought I was going to be like banging out in the afternoon. I went to that place, library, that's right, I hadn't been there before, and I thought I'd be surfing after dinner. So here I am, 42 years later, and I realized I'm an obsessive excavator. And what I'm really obsessed with is trying to excavate down to what I would kind of call the bedrock of human endeavor. And that's been my journey. So, you know, if you ask people all over the world, including yourself, like if I said, if a kid came up to you or a friend came up to you and said, tell me the five things I need to grow or be in order to succeed. People's answers to that, and we are a global research firm, so we do this work, are incredibly overlapping. There's a lot of agreement, right? My question is, if we know them, why don't we do them? And what undergirds our ability to fuel those and keep them alive? So that led me to my sort of big discoveries through our research, and those discoveries led to the books. And so we finally got to the point where we said, I think we really have something to say here, and we think a lot of lives could benefit. That's what compelled me to go through that. So you did a bunch of research before ever publishing your first, or even making these claims. They were all rooted in evidence. Yeah, that was, it was interesting. It wasn't a theory of Paul's. No, you know, it was interesting. We, I, I started off as my biggest cynic, I think, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of things we were discovering that kind of went, no, that can't be. Um, for example, when, when I had laid out all this research from like 21 different sciences, because I kept asking all these scientists at, you know, top institutions, what do you know about this? Like, how would you answer this? And we put it all together. It titrated up to sort of one word, which was my goal. And that word was adversity. Mm. And I went, wow, whoa, you know, you put on this lens and you look at human history. This is the ink of human history. Like what we've done with the tough stuff, all greatness and evil has spawned from that. And people's lives, you know, the trajectory of our lives. So I thought, gosh, if there's something called an IQ, what if there really were something called an AQ? Like what if you could actually measure that? And, and get at that and do something about it. So when we started measuring it and we took version 1, 1.1, 1.2 and, you know, did it. We gave it to the mm-hmm. educational testing service in Princeton, New Jersey, who does the college entrance exams. And they came back and slammed the data on the table and said, we want to know what the hell you're up to. I said, what do you mean? They said, this is more robust than any college entrance exam. How did you do this? Like, what's going on? And we were so stunned, 
I mean, it saved 10 years. And so we just stepped back and thought, wow, well, measuring what people do with adversity is critical, but if you can't change it, what's the point? So our journey has been that. So now after working with all these thousands of companies and millions of lives and all this stuff, we can say definitively, we know how to measure and strengthen people's AQs, which affect everything. Your health, your energy, your well-being, your optimism, your innovation, your productivity, performance, problem-solving, uh, health in every facet. I mean, it goes on and on. So it's a real epicenter. So we each have an AQ number? We do. And, and so we assess people every day all over the world. You know, it's used in everything from tribal nations and educational institutions to the biggest companies and top leaders in the world. And so we've learned a lot, and we always do this independent analysis. We have a great statistician at uh, Cal Poly who helps us out with some of that, and we look at this and see what does this correlate with and predict, and how do you move the needle? Hmm. So we believe it's foundational to health, not just you know mental health as well and physical health. We know it is. We've had independent studies show it's a radical predictor of that, even longevity. But it also you know, affects the things businesses care about. Like performance, productivity, sales numbers, energy, engagement, you know, all the stuff that shows up every day. AQ is is a fuel cell for everything we try to be in life. So it's such a humbling privilege to wake up and be that guy and get to serve this up to people and, and enrich their lives this way um, that, you know, we're more on fire than we've ever been. But... That's what led me to the books was so first the first book, which was about AQ, that's the one that got on Oprah three times. And so that just busted out, you know, and And what was it like to be on Oprah? Oh, it was uh, just a pinch me moment. Each of them was, you know, it was so interesting because uh, at the same time I had this publicist who was trying to reach out to them. They reached out to us. So we had two separate Oprah teams both say yes at the same time. So that was two shows, separate shows. And then we got brought back. So, and she was wonderful. And she's all about adversity, right? I mean, that hit her. You know, it's so funny because it was just her and I on stage for the whole show doing Mm -hmm. the the whole thing about the book. There was this great moment and my publisher cried because she hugs the book and she goes, this is everything my life is about. She goes, this is everything about who I am. It's the first book I've read that describes how I became Oprah. And I was like, wow. And the crowd's like, oh, you know. It was incredible. And she was so grounded and so authentic and so real and so lovely and gracious. And there's really no better person to endorse your work than Oprah. Oh, and especially then. I mean, she sold more books than anybody on the planet. So that was a tsunami. And, and, uh, you know, I had the privilege to be in all these, you know, world... Top media, you know, all the big ones, CNN, Fox, ABC. So that CBC, basically was that. what busted you open to the whole world. Am I, is that a safe bet? It really, really okay. did. Yeah. And, and you uh, probably wouldn't be where you are today had you not received that fortunate. You know, it's, spark. it, I, I, she was pivotal, but you know, what's interesting about it, if you think about Oprah, her crowd in no way fits the corporate business that you model. actually work on now. So it had okay. nothing to do with the way we made money or grew mm-hmm. our business. But it did allow us to reach an awful lot of people that otherwise we wouldn't reach. Yeah. And it was a, an amazing experience. We brought our whole family there, and it was just incredible. So, yeah. and I, I do need to read the book, but we, 
we all face adversity at some point in our lives, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you don't have to go through hardships like people define as a very subjective term, right, of what you would go sure. through. Sure. It's not a matter of if, but when, right? And then I would say even today that the amount of adversity the average American goes through is much less than it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I mean, we're fairly privileged beings in our environment that we live in today. We are. So, you know, it's very interesting. Here's what the global research shows. So when we ask people, you know, how many difficulties, frustrations, problems, setbacks, issues, headaches, Mm. tragedies, adversities, big or small, you face in a typical day, and they have to write them down to substantiate their answer. Over the past 35 years, that number has gone from 3 to 36. But as you're arguing, the nature of them has changed. So we think of adversity with a capital A, like, you know, someone you love died or your house got flooded and destroyed or whatever it might be. We're talking about, I mean, my definition is when you predict or experience something bad happening to someone or something you care about. So that's kind of interesting, right? Because you think about it and you go, how much adversity do people face over something that hasn't even happened yet? Mm. And that's where worry and the big today word anxiety comes in because you're actually experience you're having an adverse reaction to something that hasn't happened right and the higher your aq goes the more anxiety and worry absolutely vaporize because you become what i call more response able you become able to respond more optimally to more things more quickly so then you don't worry about anything Mm. then on the other side there's the adversity that happens actually happens and what's adversity to you may or may not be to me. Right. You know, if you own 10 homes and you have some water damage, you're like, oh, that's an inconvenience. If it's your one and only home and you have seven kids living in that thing, right. th- that's devastating, you know. And you you got to do something and it's urgent, right? So it's very personal. And uh, that's part of where we disconnect, I think, hmm. is that we judge people based on, what they're calling adversity, just because it's not the same as ours, doesn't mean it's not real for them. Well, and I even think about people who've gone through the military. They faced oftentimes way more adversity, and I respect anyone who served in the military because I didn't go through that path at all. Yeah. And I think that it sets you up for life to be far more better prepared. More resilient and more robust. Things that come your way because odds are you faced pretty extreme adversity at some point. Yeah, but maybe. So here's the interesting thing about that. You know, you've heard everyone hears about PTSD. Right. So I've been collaborating with this guy out of Tufts on a project around PTG, which is called and it's called post-traumatic growth. So what no one knows is that when a unit, for example, in battle faces a trauma, traumatic event. An equal number on average of people experience this post-traumatic growth Mm. where you end up getting galvanized and fortified by the adversity as those who get damaged by it. So what we're trying to do is move the needle. But your point is a great one, Brian, because what happens is over the years, you know, I've certainly had plenty of, you know, not just special forces people, but people who've had military experience who come to me and say, you know, after I went through blah, 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 my my calibration of adversity completely changed. Like there is no adversity. That was it. So you're fearless. Yeah. And they become undaunted. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Unhinged. Um, uh, hopefully not unhinged, but undaunted. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they're not so easily thrown off. And I, yeah. you know, I even see with my own parents that, you know, 
my mom even said my dad went through some adversity that he hadn't faced before. So he's an avid cyclist mm. and he fell and broke his broke like eight ribs. Wow. And Brutal. was forced he, to stay in bed for a month, right? Mm -hmm. To heal. Mm -hmm. Couldn't ride his bike. And this is somebody that has always been able to do whatever he wants to do. Mm -hmm. And she said, she's never seen him in this dark of a place before. Yeah. And you would think she's like, you would think after 80 years on this planet, you would know how to, deal with things but he still struggles with like it which scares the hell out of me because am i not even prepared like you would think every year life you should have more of Prepares life figured out it. right uh -huh. of what's coming but you know then you have these setbacks that you haven't faced before you're just you know you wonder yeah you haven't got it figured out i mean none of us do i i think i i read a quote recently about that we're all we're all winging it yeah, we are. It's a, and some of us are just a little more graceful at it than others, but nobody's got it figured out. But No, but if you can wing it with a, a, an uncommon degree of agility, adaptability, resilience, robustness, and grit, then your journey is going to be a lot better. Okay. Yeah. Well, I would strongly encourage people to check this book out, even if it was published years and years ago, which I think that we have. Oh, that was the first one, but we've done several, several since. Several more. Okay, yeah. well, I think sometimes we're a little bit... Um, predisposed to say, well, I want something that was recently published or mm -hmm. something new. But the reality is we accept, and I'm speaking for myself, not others, that we accept a lot of the things that were fed without questioning where the source of the information came from. So true. And a lot of authors these days, I mean, there's no barriers to getting published. Anybody can publish anything they want. Yes. Yeah, but they're pontificating things that aren't rooted in evidence. Yeah. And in my ways, that's very irresponsible because now mm -hmm. you're kind of trying to tell people this is a blueprint for the way you should live your life yep. based on my experience. But their experience is not going to be the same as yours. Yep. You have to do a lot of study to kind of get rid of that bias. Like, I'm even you. So let's let's what I really wanted to dive into was you personally. Hmm. And let's talk a little bit about your journey and the fact that, you know, you are here today. And if I had asked you 10 years ago, are you where you want to be? Are, are you where you think you'd, you would have been? Or did you have even a clear vision 10 years ago? Like sitting right here, right now in this amazing place. Mm -hmm. Was that a crystal clear idea that you had, intention? Or was this some, something that just continued to evolve? And Yes. Well, both in that I am weird that way. I envisioned this when I was a kid. Okay. And and so if you'd asked me 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, the answers would have been really, really similar. Um, however, the the way it manifests here, you know, the specifics of it, it, that evolves. You know, so for example, we were living on a beautiful cattle ranch and we said, we're done. This is our last house forever. And then we got, you know, values are meaningless until confronted, right? Until challenged. <laughs> so we were confronted with the possibility of creating a family compound with our son and his family, my son Chase Martin, who's a, an attorney in town, and Katie and the kids. And that meant selling that, starting over, rebuilding from scratch, basically, and reinvesting all that, and, and what that means for the years of your work and everything, mm. without question. Values are meaningless and still until challenged, right? Mm. So we, we decided to do it. So this iteration was not the iteration we imagined a, a decade ago, but 
In general, yes. <laughs> well, you've got your own little Yellowstone up here. Ah, <laughs> that's funny. That's what my son and I watch in the barn. That's really funny. And, and we even have our uh, own whiskey, grit whiskey and grit tequila. So we, uh, yeah, we try to live the dream. Yeah, you are. And, um, but you, were you ever like working in the real world? Were you always independent? Yes. Uh, both. Did you work for companies? Yes, I did. Uh, when I was real young and, uh, I, I worked for some different companies and one of the ones I worked with in some depth was Honeywell back in the day. And then I worked with, what was your capacity there? Uh, I was actually involved in their management development program. So I was helping them, you know, develop and deliver the curriculum for growing tomorrow's leaders. And uh, it was very scintillating. So you've been fascinated with leadership since college. It sounds like. Oh yeah, always have. It's such an important lever. Mm -hmm. And you know, gone wrong, it's really bad. Mm -hmm. And gone right, it's it's the path to the future. So without it, we can't get there. So I'm pretty obsessed with it. Yes. So you're inspired to grow the leaders and make better leaders out of the companies that you work with. I mean, you're really in. Yeah driven to make sure there's not toxic work environments, that companies are mm-hmm. meeting the needs of their shareholders, but that really everyone wants to come to work there. Yeah, you know, there's... Right I, I, How do you find the right people for those companies? Yeah, there's so much ground to gain, right? And look yeah. how much it's changed. But I really do believe, you know, it's worth striving to create an optimal workplace where people really genuinely can thrive and bring their best and be their best and be on a path to be what we call ever better. So if the people in the company or the organization are on a path to be a little bit better every day over time, the compound interest on that is immense, and everyone wins. So I think, you know, I, as a kid, my father was a corporate guy who came out from, you know, depression baby, came from nothing, first in his family to get an education and everything else. And he took me around on some of his trips, and every time I went in one of these companies, you know, traditional company, it, it was this soul-sucking zombie land, and I just, it hurt my heart. I was just like, how can people invest the prime energy hours of their life? Into being, hiding them through yeah, yeah, even being know. here and doing this, right. whatever this is. So I just thought there's got to be a way to inject some real life into those hours of our lives and make it meaningful. You know, so from I, the top down, all the way down. Yeah. yeah. And, and so we work with, you know, very frontline and sometimes very disadvantaged, uh, pe- populations and people. And sometimes we're working with the elite of the elite who have the power and the money to make real change. So you've gone really down the corporate training path, corporate consultant. Were you ever going, looking at like the motivational speaker, you know, Tommy, Tony Robbins type of yeah, it's, world. I mean, you know, did it's, you te- test those waters? or Well, I get asked to do that a lot, and I've done some really big event. Big keynotes. Public, yeah. yeah. I, so I, people sometimes say, oh, you're a motivational speaker or whatever, and I kind of go, mm. mm-hmm. and, and the reason is I think traditionally those people have been kind of hacking at the leaves, and they kind of serve up a cup of coffee that pumps you up and makes you feel right. significantly better for a little period of time, and then you need another jolt. And so I, I just care about so much getting to the core um, that I – and I don't want it to be personality-based or ego-based. Um, the only reason my picture's on that last book is my dad just kept saying to me, you've got to put your face on the book. So, you know, thank God before he passed, I finally did. But I, I don't even want it to be about me at all. Right. I just want it to be about the impact. That's all I care about. Yeah. No, I, I get that. and. AQ was not 
really you. It's much bigger than you. And I, yeah. I often see the common thread of, you know, the happiest and most successful people is they found a purpose greater than themselves. Yes. And you, you've stuck, stayed true to that adversity piece after all these years. Oh, I mean, that's kind of amazing. There's probably nobody on the planet who knows more about adversity than you do. <laughs> I mean, they've dived into one topic with such depth and you continue to find new things. Oh, every day. It's wow. stunning. We get, you know, conversations from like today was Iran and, and Saudi Arabia and, and Philippines and China and and uh, South, South America. I mean, just conversations and findings with our work every day all over the world. So we're always learning and evolving it. And, and you know, to me, this is like the, like I said, it's the bedrock. So, mm. and it's timeless. I mean, it's so funny, Brian, because like just today, one of the big companies you know really well, called me and they were like, you know, this is like the hottest new thing. We're so excited to introduce it to our people. And I'm, we're giggling going, yeah, hottest new thing for 36 20, years, oh, you know. Yeah, and uh, But um, it's timeless and universal. It applies. We've learned that this applies all across all cultures mm -hmm. deeply. I mean, that AQ book, that first one that was on Oprah, two years ago was a top 10. It got re-released, top 10 book in China. Who knew? And I mean, in China, you know, and they, so they released it in Chinese and great. It's still and, connecting with people. Yeah. And same with grit. Yeah. So it's, mm. it, and, and I think it's more relevant than ever and at least in new ways. So, and we uh, are facing in a lot of ways with COVID and the uncertainty. Quite yeah. honestly, it does feel like there's a lot less to be confident about. And now they're talking about going to war with China I mean, that could just like rock everybody's world. If you just think about just playing that out is, is scares the hell out of like, if this starts to become the narrative, this is a scary world. Like, right. And so, it, if, so we need, we need to be able to immunize ourselves against learned helplessness because that will decimate us, whether it's climate change, war, the uncertainties of the world, the economy. If we can't literally immunize ourselves where it's virtually impossible to go there, to learn helplessness and, and to be able to sustain some degree of traction and hope, then we have no chance. So I think AQ is elemental to our whole path forward. And that's why I did the TED Talk about AQ related to climate change, because I thought, let's just take the big one. Hmm. <laughs> well, why not? Let's talk about that. I've been, for the last 10 years, no, last 15 years, I've been um, studying meditation and I'm really mm. into yoga and so good I for you. often in mind mindfulness and mm -hmm. MBSR and mm -hmm. I I've often told people that I feel like mindfulness or um, I don't know what was I calling I guess MBSR if it prepares you for the adversities you're going to face in life mm -hmm. and ultimately the greatest adversity you're going to face which is your own demise right mm -hmm. and would you say that you know you're fully prepared for the greatest adversity you will f ever face. I mean, that is the ultimate, right? There's no greater adversity than our own uh, mortality, right? Uh, I, I might argue it would be the demise of the person you love most. Mm. But uh, I, okay. I, would, I would gladly experience mine at the salvation of hers. Wow. So selfless. But um, I don't know. Uh, is it, though? Because, you know, am I really just preserving my own pain of that loss you know but yeah i care that much and so 
the point is to the best that you can. You never know till you're there, but to the best that you can, you really can pre-equip yourself for this journey and the inevitabilities of it and everything like that. And I do believe that as a, almost, you know, it's almost like the human operating system, right? There's a point where as more and more is demanded of it, like today, mm. uh, you have to upgrade. And in order to run smoother, better, faster, and, and have everything operate well. And I think that's what AQ is about. I think we as a, as a species need to uh, upgrade our AQ mm. to be able to tackle. And, and ideally, you know, it's, we talk so much about coping. As a matter of fact, the first Oprah show that killed me, you know, the producer takes me in the room, you know, and sits me down. He's like, are you that coping with adversity guy? And I wanted to go, not really. Because you know what coping looks like? Like, have you ever seen young parents with babies get on an airplane? I mean, they're, they're coping. Does that look like fun to you? You know? And or it's, they've given up. Yeah, right. Or else, they, yeah, or else they're having problem. three drinks and right. giving up. But uh, I believe that uh, we've seen, you know, as we measure AQ, that at the top level, something different happens. We possess the capacity as a species to harness adversity. And the definition is gnarly because what it means is that you literally can look back on whatever that adversity was and say, thank God that happened, because if it hadn't, we'd never be who or where we are today. That is the test. And so if, if you can take, if you can do that, and we teach people how, we really do, um, then adversity becomes a fuel cell. Without it, life's boring. Hmm. You know? I give people candy, like I do this thing when I do my keynotes sometimes and stuff, and I'll give them a candy and say, okay, be very careful. This looks like candy, but it's really the adversity pill. You know, and I'll say, if you touch it to your tongue, it's so potent, it will immunize you against all adversity for the rest of your life. And at which point, usually two people jam it in their mouths and go, thank you. You know, but most people just, I go, would you take it? And the answer is always inevitably, invariably, no. I go, what? You can remove all adversity? And you're saying you, you want it? You prefer it? And they go, yeah, you, life would be boring. You wouldn't mm. learn. You wouldn't grow. So isn't it interesting how much we invest in comfort and convenience when really what we're saying is that one of the richest ores of our journey is adversity? Hmm. So, it, it, yeah. It's pretty deep spiritual stuff. It gets it there. It really does. It's uh, strategy to increase profit. You're no, this corporate stuff's a covert operation, man, because hmm. I use the corporate, you know, well-funded corporate structure called corporate learning or events or whatever it is to basically mess with people's lives in a good way, mm. in a way that happens to benefit the business, so they ask us back. So that's the deal. Make that's what feel we care good, about. And there's some bottom line results. Yeah, it, I mean, you've got to have the evidence. It's got to produce real results, and it's got to really enrich people's lives. And if it does, then you're doing good work. Well, and evidence is that you've been able to continue doing this work. Yeah, lucky us. Years. I mean, we've, yeah. we've grown this business 36 straight years doing this. It's just wow. insane. And tell me a little bit more about the business, like the team mm. and how that's structured. I'm so I'm glad you asked because, you know, none of this exists without them. And, you know, like Dr. Jeff Thompson here in town, he's been with me for 26 years. Mm. And we have an office downtown slow. And I have a core team down there, Allison and Jeff and Blake and Katie and those guys. And they, they keep it all glued together. And then we have an expanded team. We have a team in China. We have a team in Southeast Asia. We have teams in other parts of the world 
who bring our work to those geographies in ways that are culturally appropriate that we could never do. And I like a Dave Ramsey model. It sounds like (laughs) uh, a little bit. Yeah. You know, we, we don't franchise, we don't do that. Um, we invest very deeply in, in having them be real masters at what we do. And then I spend a lot of time with them to make sure we're, you know, bringing our best and upgrading and updating, but it's very gratifying, you know, and I've Mm. gone there a lot. Um, I was in China just pre COVID. There's Mm. a story with that, but, um, it uh, is incredible to be able to see this work being brought to all over all over the world. So our expanded team is just a blessing. I mean, well, you've successfully duplicated it yourself. It sounds like that's the yeah, dream that everyone has. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, just you know the old rule, right? Surround yourself with people smarter than you, and you can't go wrong. And that's kind of what we've done. Are you still the core sales guy? The one that goes out and uh, you know, it's funny. I I hate to say this, but I don't chase stuff. Mm. You know, I, I receive stuff. And so we get so many requests for what we do. Uh, we've never had a business development person. We've never had a salesperson. We, we, we violate every rule. And we've grown every year just by it's trying. organic growth, man. Yeah, the yeah. Kind. And we just try to. Word of good, mouth. good work leads mm. to good work. Yeah. It does. People leave and go to other companies. They, they do. Bring you in, yeah. They and back. if you live long enough, some of them call you 15 years later and go, that was the most impactful thing. Can you do work with Mike? You know, our and you're like, sure, come on, let's go. So, and that happened today. I mean, a guy in the UK, you know, um, so it's, it's so, I mean, pinch me. I'm, I mean, honestly, if you want to want a uh, epithet, just put luckiest bastard I've ever met. And just I used put, to ask that. What would it say on your tombstone? Yeah, and just put that right. on my tombstone, and, and that, that, that would be it. I, I really do. I mean, I can't even believe I get to do what I do and, and be who I am. And it's humbling because it forces your own feet to the fire to live what, you know, practice what you preach mm. and, and to get better and better at it. And, and try so you to, use your, what you teach in your own company to really oh. to prove the pudding. Yeah, basically eat your own dog food, right? Oh, there have been, I mean, with a great economic meltdown that we had, you know, mm. back when, and, and this has been multiple times. It's not the only one. Two thousand eight, yeah. we literally took out our highest octane tool, sat at this table, and said, "If we can't use our own tools to not survive, not overcome, but to literally harness this adversity, so we look back and say, thank God, two thousand eight happened. We'd never be where we are without it. If we can't do that, we're frauds. Let's go, wow. and we did it." We've done it over and over, and it's just because my team's so good. They get it, and they're committed. Yeah. Well, but like you said, you've got the secret sauce that you offer up to other companies as well, but you've proved it in-house first. You're basically like that chef that <laughs> the recipe. Yeah, you get to yeah survive your own cooking. And yeah. then you know it's good enough. But th- it's no, true. I think that's great when you can – you have a business that supports itself in a lot of ways by just – running it through and you sort of have these principles. It sounds like you've also developed some really core principles within your own business that you've stayed the value to sort of stay on course. Yeah. We just measure ourselves on the four P's we always have, which are purpose, people, profit, and planet. So how many lives, who are we impacting? How many, but also are they people who have, you know, influence and leverage and affect others? Hmm. So we analyze the people we're affecting, and then we look at you know the purpose meter, which is are we having that deep and enduring impact? Is it deep enough and enduring enough, and are we really hitting bedrock 
and can we do better? And are we doing with people, you know, in a way that matters, you know, like we've been reached lately, uh, some of the, you know, tribal nations have reached out to us and Mm -hmm. they have some real challenges, you know, and as do many populations and being able to apply our work to help them. What are tribal uh, nations? Tribal. Oh, tribal nations. Tribal nations, native populations from the U.S. Mm -hmm. And then, um, then profit unapologetically, you know, we want to generate a healthy profit to keep fund the flywheel and keep it going and pay everybody well and all that, have it be a rewarding environment. And then, of course, the planet. We want to have a net positive effect, have our existence, you know, have Mother Earth smile that we're here. So this is a crazy question to ask you, but uh-huh. have you, through all those years, suffered any major setbacks? You know, it's really funny. Uh, we have two jokes, but, you know, one, one truth is the higher your AQ goes, when someone says to you, what have been the biggest adversities you faced, you come up blank because you don't even think of them that way. You, like, deal and move on. You deal and move on. And my grandmother was a great example of that. She had faced a series of just breathtaking adversities. And someone, a client of mine, because I had told her story, went there and asked her that question in person. And she said, oh, not much. I've been so blessed. And then they said, what have been your biggest challenges? And she went, well. And then boom, 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 boom. So that, that's kind of how you process it when your AQ goes up. Not Pollyanna. It's just, it's real. And then the other joke that we have is my wife, who 35 years ago was diagnosed with MS. She's had her face and, and body torn apart with skin cancer surgeries. She's had two labral tear surgeries in her hips. She's had, I mean, and, and the stuff she grew up with and you know, substance abuse in her family and all kinds of issues that go on and on and on and on. And so every, she just goes, why is it always me? Like, I'm your poster child. So every time someone, you know, in some of the big interviews we've had with some of the big publications, they go, tell us about your biggest adversities. I'm like, have you met my wife? Wow. Yeah. She's the poster child of everything we teach. I mean, look at her. She, here's a person who 35 years later has never had one any kind of treatment or anything. It's not even on her medical records. She has no visible symptoms of MS whatsoever. She teaches boot camp to a bunch of dudes two mornings a week, kicks their tushes, teaches bar class. She's a professor at Cal Poly, award-winning professor, author in her own right, life force on steroids, leads Dream Makers, that charity group for terminally ill adults getting their final wish in our community and all that kind of stuff. She's a medical impossibility. She doesn't exist in the medical literature. And if you asked her, like, so Rhonda, and, you know, she's like the most effervescent person you could meet, if you said, and ask Tom, you know, he'll tell you. If you said, so how do you do this? She would say, every night when I put my head on that pillow and every night before I spring out of bed, which is my adversity because that's 4 a.m., she just applies what we teach. Wow. It changes you're, well, I like what you said there. You didn't have, you haven't had any setbacks. You've had challenges. Yeah. To overcome. That's life. Yeah. I mean, that is the substance of life. And if you don't, maybe you're not trying hard enough. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're not going bold enough. You know, is your goal really to have a tombstone that says he was comfortable? So if somebody's going through adversity right now, mm-hmm. this is the time for them to double down and uh-huh. understand this better and realize that you can actually turn this into an advantage. 
You really can. Like you, either you can go in a downward spiral, which I think a lot of us do. Yep. Or you can use this to catapult yourself into becoming something great that will become better because of it. Yeah, and you know there really are concrete ways to minimize the downside and maximize the upside. We teach people about their core, the four core ingredients or core elements of AQ, and that's what we measure. And we teach them how to strengthen their core response. Do they come to you when they're in the midst of adversity? Do you like looking for you for answers? Sometimes, but sometimes, you know, it's so funny, Brian, because, you know, when, like, take companies, right? Businesses. And a lot, we deal with hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs, too. And I coach a lot of them. Um, When times are tough and constrained or you hear the R word recession or whatever it is, they, they need us because their people are struggling. Right. And they trying to get it, do more with less. Fix and how, our culture. It's and broken. how do you, yeah. And how do you, uh, you know, make it happen in spite of the adversity we face on the other side, when things are going bonkers and they're like, bare, you know, just besieged with opportunity, mm-hmm. then you have to be equipped with this to be able to take on and do, you know, perform miracles at a, a, a level of growth and pace and everything else that you otherwise can't imagine. So whatever's going on, it, it's pretty relevant. Mm. And so we just kind of customize it to whatever that is. But try to get ahead of it if you can, it sounds like. Yeah. If they come to you and things are already broken, mm-hmm. it's a, is it a, is a harder hill to climb? Uh, yes and no. No in terms of, boy, have we got their attention. Okay. I mean, relevance is you instantaneous. You don't have to explain. You have the A word instantly. Yeah, yeah. They say, oh, yeah, we've got some serious adversity. You can, we're going to put you to test. Well, and put you know you what's, what's so been also very humbling and, and really kind of like is we've had big companies like AT&T and DirecTV and others who have said in their moments of adversity, thus turn to their people and say, we have stripped away all corporate learning from our budget <laughs> except one thing. AQ. Wow. And this is the one thing we're going to use to equip ourselves to make this happen, no matter how bad it gets. Hmm. And then we get brought in. You're kind of like, whoa, well, okay, it's game time. Let's yeah. go. You know? Um, Got some skeptics to overcome, I'm sure. Oh, I love them. I love them because, you know, it's so evidence-based that all you got to do is share, like, the real evidence. And in the biggest cynics just kind of go, well, it's about time. Now we got something we can, you know, that's actually got some proof to it. Thank you. You know, so I love those people. They become right. some of our greatest advocates. Well, Dr. Stoltz, is there anything else you want Paul, to share? Um, kind of. No, I mean, it's just been delightful talking to you about it. And obviously, as you can tell, I, I can talk about it forever. And I'm, I'm hugely passionate I about mean, it. Passion I mean, passion. Yeah. I've been reading this thing about the difference between passions and virtue. But you've definitely figured out a way to turn this passion into something that fuels you every day and I do it's not a handicap well you know I I talk a lot I do a very select amount of executive coaching one of the most gratifying pivots I made with COVID is I finally instead of just doing it for these big you know billionaire CEOs out there in the world I decided to do it locally and so I saddled up next to some of the you know prominent business leaders from the companies we know here and I've been helping them and it's been so gratifying But, you know, I really do believe we can put ourselves on a path toward an optimal life and that, you know, this is one way to equip us to get there. And so, you know, having the chance to do anything to help people do that, come on. Stay the course. As good as it gets. All right, Paul. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, listeners. This is Brian Schwartz signing off. Until next time.
Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to Tech Reads, sponsored by SoftTech. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and share it with your colleagues. If you have comments, questions, or want to suggest an author for a future episode, visit SoftTech at softec.org and click on the Tech Reads link.